0: Okay, I'm back. This is Bodhi B. This is March the 10th, 2020, and here we are in KEKU 88.5 FM, and I'm speaking with an old man today, mm-hmm. uh, an acknowledged old man, um, but great heart. Uh, I think I think many of us actually discovered that the fountain of youth is actually in the heart. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think I mean that's, that seems to be. A, uh, you know, that seems to be true. So I'm here with Keith McCrary, uh, a well-known character here on Maui, uh, who's a real elder, I would say. So let's let's come back to where you were. Remember where you were? How's your memory? Remember that? I remember that. You, yeah. you want to just pick it up where you?
1: Okay, I can do that. I was uh, traveling after college, uh, went all the way through the south, um, drawing caricatures of college students and learning that I could make a living that way. I got to Miami, and there were these signs all over the city saying I should fly to Mexico City for $49 one way. And one day I was on the plane flying there and went to, into Mexico City and primarily to see the artwork of Orozco, and Diego Rivera. And so you have the uh, that artistic side of me that was certainly happening. I came up by bus from Mexico, uh, DF, uh, the district, the federal district, and back into Austin, Texas where I was talking with a dear friend about my experience of being here and there and recognizing suddenly that in my college days I had used a couple of friends for what I would call uh, um, association um, by um, or popularity by association. Uh, They were both very um, politically active and as I was to a degree as their sign painter and speech maker. But I found that in the moment of recognition of that Oddly enough, I found myself weeping. I mean, sobbing weeping. and The friend I was with didn't know quite what to make of it, but in the process of that, something else happened, and that was I found myself in a different time and place. I was at the wedding of Cana in described in the New Testament and the Gospel of Oh, John. wait a
0: minute now. I want to remind the audience that the question I had asked you was, you early on in your life, you must have had a powerful experience that kind of shook you into there's something bigger going on that led you to the seminary. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. Thank you.
1: And so what I experienced then was really a kind of out-of-body uh, experience in which, and out of time, I was present, literally, very vividly present and recognizing the conversation and the give and take with Jesus and the embarrassed host who had run out of wine at, the, at a wedding uh, reception. And it was very embarrassing and there was this compassion that, the, that came forth of Jesus in relation to the wedding host and as a person standing there, I experienced that same compassion. And very simply put, I felt myself loved and accepted in spite of my past. Uh, And that very vivid experience of being loved and accepted unconditionally was a transformative phenomenon and did ultimately lead to my getting involved in Uh, the ministry, going to seminary, and also finally to find a school movement that shares the same basis of understanding that spirit does precede matter and that we are, in fact, spiritual beings that are loved and accepted just
0: the way we are. Wow. At the age of 22? Right.
1: It's continued to inform my life ever
0: since. How fortunate. Indeed. How fortunate. So do you think that kind of awakening experience, like the question I was actually going to ask you was, does do you, do you feel that being an elder uh, comes with a responsibility? So the same question I would ask you about when you have an awakening experience, and which shifts you into, let's say, a, a widened uh, way of living, Mm-hmm. Does that does that come do you feel that that comes with some kind of responsibility
1: well, I would take the word responsibility and says yes it gives me the ability to respond and it's that response of that I experienced of compassion and of love that then I'm very willing and happy to share with others
0: yeah I would i personally I would even say uh, the responsibility is that uh, that I feel is that I'm required to share it with others. That uh, something uh, has been handed to me, and that, uh, just like I think so many people in this culture have a misunderstanding about what fr- what true freedom is, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in the way I see it, freedom itself uh, is is a res- it becomes a responsibility. Mm-hmm. That it's that uh, we come back to your self absorption thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so see see if that resonates somewhere that you would respond to mm-hmm. respond uh, with your ability yes well
1: it uh, you know it, it does it, one that has
0: um, I mean, you're still out there teaching there's yes. some part of you that still wants to impart uh your gifts mm-hmm. beyond uh, your little home scene mm-hmm.
1: for sure, and to give that a little bit more um of a glimpse, you were mentioning how radio is uh, maybe coming back into our lives, and I would say one of the forms of that especially is podcasting, and that's the direction I've found myself drawn to, to create a podcast that does describe, and as an experience, the curriculum of the Waldorf School in a way that is available um, you know, for free and has the possibility, if I may stretch it a little bit, at the end of Steiner's first lectures to the teachers, he ends with this motto, imbue thyself with the power of imagination, have courage for the truth, strengthen thyself for responsibility of soul responsibility of caring for other people uh, the ability to respond uh, in that fashion and sharing knowledge and wisdom uh, sharing what's really underlying that, that you care enough to explain something that's meaningful to uh, describe and, and tell stories that convey something of the imagination, and I would just add one note to that, I consider it the most powerful nation on the earth, the imagination, because with imagination you can picture the past and maybe learn from it, you can experience the present and really experience the present, and then you can change the future with imagination. That is a great motto, imbue thyself with the power of imagination.
0: That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, because sometimes people go, oh, that's just your imagination, and kind of dismiss it. Mm-hmm. I say, well, actually, there's two, at least two kinds of imagination. There's the imagination, if I tell you to think of a purple elephant, you can easily do that. Uh, but you've very well articulated the other imagination, and, uh, which oftentimes, in terms of the future, is connected to insight and intuition and the ability to actually see. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. That's a great piece you brought up. Imagination, the, the greatest nation in the world. Yeah. Imagination. You're here. You know, a citizen of the imagination. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Very good. All right. Wow. Very good. Well, it's been fabulous uh, speaking with you today, Keith McCrary. You're uh, somebody I've seen around for quite a while. It's it's a joy for me to actually have a, uh, a conversation with you and get, get to know you a little bit. And I, I hope we get to uh, share some more together.
1: Thank you. I look forward to that, and ditto to you, Bodhi B.
0: Uh, very good. All right. Okay. Thank you, Keith. Aloha. I'm Bodhi B. This is Death Tracks. Um, I think I'll play a tune. And actually the tune I want to play, uh, I heard it the other day and I thought, wow, if you're an aficionado of the uh, music of the 70s, if you love the music of the 70s, this particular song has the greatest uh, musicians, I would say, the greatest rock and rollers, the greatest stars of the 70s. I think all of them pretty much on one song. And if you haven't guessed what it already is, here it is. (laughs)
2: i <laughs> Must lend a helping Mm -hmm. hand
0: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. All, this, all the stars uh, who showed up for that. Um, I'm Bodie B. This is Death Tracks. I'm going to read a, a story in the New York Times, and then I'll comment on it. This is the name of this story, The Difference Between Worry, Stress, and Anxiety. They're not all the same, but we do have tips to help you deal with all of them. This is in the Smarter Living section of the New York Times on February the 26th, 2020. It seems particularly apropos um, these days, given the uh, probably extreme, extremely high levels of worry, stress, and anxiety due to the uh, coronavirus and the questions around uh, where this is going and um, I, I think stress, worry, and anxiety are actually turn out to be choices um, rather than automatic. And I, I know that's that's not the choice I want to make. I ca- I catch myself. I go into those things, but um, there's a, there's a different place I want to stand in the midst of uh, uncertainty, uh, the possibility of getting sick and dying. Uh, Maybe because I work um, so much in this field, uh, maybe that's given me a little more awareness around the presence of death and the improbability and uncertainty of how much time I have left, which I think is a very, very powerful and positive thing, really. I'll read the story and we'll see where we go with it. And if you'd like to call in uh, to comment about our guest or about anything really, about what's going on for you or uh, you have a question, 808-873-3435. I'm going to make sure the phone is working. Uh, I'm going to make sure the, yep, you should be able to call into the show if you want, 808-873-3435, and I'll read. You probably experience worry, stress, or anxiety at least once on any given day. Nearly 40 million people in the United States suffer from an anxiety disorder, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Three out of four Americans reported feeling stressed in the last month. A 2017 study found, but in one of these moments, if asked which you were experiencing worry, stress, or anxiety, would you know the difference? I reached out to two experts to help us identify and cope with all three of these. What is worry? Worry is what happens when your mind dwells dwells on negative thoughts, uncertain outcomes, or things that could go wrong. Worry tends to be repetitive, obsessive thoughts, said Melanie Greenberg, a clinical psychologist in Mill Valley, California, and the author of The Stress-Proof Brain. It's the cognitive component of anxiety. Simply put, worry happens only in your mind, not in your body. Well, I'll comment right there, because uh, enough enough science has shown now that uh, thoughts cause Uh, thoughts and emotions cause chemical responses. So if a chemical response is something that's happening in your body, then I wouldn't agree with simply put, worries happen only in your mind, not in your body. That's some kind of distinction that the mind and body are separate and by now many of us uh, have learned that that's just not true. And in fact, I think it's one of the fallacies of uh, Western medicine, really. Again, if you'd like to comment, 808-873-3435. But I'll continue to read. How does worry work? Worry actually has an important function in our lives. According to Luana Marques, an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and the president of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. When we think about an uncertain or unpleasant situation, such as being unable to pay the rent, or doing badly on an exam, our brains brains become stimulated. When we worry, it calms our brains down. Worry is also likely to cause us to problem-solve or take action. Both of which are positive things. Worry is a way for your brain to handle problems in order to keep you safe, Doctor Marquise explained. It's only when we get stuck thinking about a problem that worry stops being functional. Uh, again, I'll comment here. I don't. I don't get that. Uh, in my experience, worry as a way to lead us to problem solving I don't think is necessarily the best strategy. Because uh, when you think about um, imagining and creating uh, your life, or certainly co-creating your life, and with positive, um, positive thinking, you could say that worry is negative thinking. And to the degree that we co-create what's happening uh, in our lives, certainly uh, negative images, uh, we draw them in uh, by focusing on them. So I don't think worry really is the best strategy for problem solving. Problem solving really comes from identifying um, what the problem is. So that's different than going into worry but I'll read on three things to help your worries. Give yourself a worry budget, an amount of time in which you allow yourself to worry about a problem. When that time is up, let's say 20 minutes, consciously redirect your thoughts. When you notice that you're worried about something, push yourself to come up with the next step, or to take action. Write your worries down, Research has shown that just 8 to 10 minutes of writing can help calm obsessive thoughts. I, I would agree with that. I think, I think writing, <clears throat> spontaneous writing, is a beautiful way to help, help move some things, uh, not only forwards, but move them on. Remember, again I'm reading, worry is helpful only if it leads to change, not if it turns into obsessive thoughts. What is stress? Stress is a physiological response connected to an external event. In order for the cycle of stress to begin, there must be a a stressor. This is usually some kind of external circumstance, like a work deadline or a scary medical test. Stress is defined as a reaction to environmental changes or forces that exceed the individual's resources, Dr. Greenberg said. Excuse me. I think I'm gonna read that again. Stress is defined as a reaction to environmental changes or forces that exceed the individual's resources, Dr. Greenberg said. And again, I'll comment that if it's defined as a reaction, then most of us by now know that reacting doesn't always come up with the best response. That there's a big difference between responding to a situation and reacting to a situation, or to a person. Reading on, how does stress work? In prehistoric times, stress was a natural response to a threat, like hearing a predator in the bushes. Today, it still prompts a behavioral response firing up your limbic system and releasing adrenaline and cortisol, which help activate your brain and body to deal with the threat. Dr. Greenberg explained, Symptoms of stress include a rapid heart rate, clammy palms, and shallow breath. Stress might feel good at first as the adrenaline and cortisol flood your body, Dr. Marquis said. You might have experienced the benefits of stress as you race through traffic to get to an appointment or pull together an important assignment in the final hour. That's called acute stress and the rush wore off when the situation was resolved. For example, you turned in your assignment. Chronic stress, on the other hand, is when your body stays in this fight or flight mode continuously, usually because the situation doesn't resolve as with financial stressors or a challenging boss. Chronic stress is linked to health concerns such as digestive issues, an increased risk of heart disease, and a weakening of the immune system. Yeah, And, and of course, chronic stress can be brought on by watching a movie that has a... Um, you know, a conflict of some sort that is maybe moving towards resolution. Um, Our brains, as it turns out, can't really differentiate between what we see on a movie screen and what we see out on the streets. And as we're seeing, that has very dangerous consequences that we can't tell what's true and what's real. Reading on, three things to help your stress. Get exercise. This is a way for your body to recover from the increase of adrenaline and cortisol. Get clear on what you can and can't control. Then focus your energy on what you can control and accept what you can't. Well, speaking of control, um, when we come back to um, what what happens in stress... Uh, It talks about, it did talk about uh, rapid heart rate, clammy palms, and shallow breath. Well, noticing that we have a shallow breath, we have the control to breathe deeply and slowly and consciously with, with awareness of breathing. It's amazing, really, that we can be aware and control our breath. So that's good to know when we talk about recognizing what we can control. Now, where was I? If stress and worry are the symptoms, oh, now we're up to what is anxiety? Oh, wait, now? I was back on anxiety, was I? No, I was still on stress. (laughs) Get clear on what you can and can't control focus your energy on what you can control and accept what you can't don't compare your stress with anyone else's stress stress different people respond different differently to stressful situations remember stress is a biological response that is that is a normal part of our lives yeah stress is in a sense uh, you could you could I'm commenting here uh, in a sense, in the same family as tension, and there's a certain amount of dynamic tension, just to keep us upright and you know moving. You know, between our muscles and our bones, there's a certain amount of dynamic tension, and 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 uh, wakefulness and attention required, just to you know function and um, not bump into things. So, in that sense. Uh, we all carry a certain level of dynamic tension or stress. Okay, I'll read on. Again, if you'd like to comment, 808 3435 We're live March the 10th, 2020. What is anxiety? If stress and worry are the symptoms, anxiety is the culmination Anxiety has a cognitive element, worry, and a physiological response, stress, which means that we experience anxiety in both our mind and our body. In some ways, Dr. Marquis said, anxiety is what happens when you're dealing with a lot of worry and a lot of stress. How does anxiety work? Again, I'm reading from a New York Times article, The Difference Between Worry, Stress, and Anxiety. Remember how stress stress is a natural response to a threat? Well, anxiety is the same feeling, except there is no threat. Anxiety, in some ways, is a response to a false alarm. Describing a situation, for example, in which you show up at work and somebody gives you an off look. You start to have all the physiology of a stress response because you're telling yourself that your boss is upset with you or that your job might be at risk. The blood is flowing, the adrenaline is pumping, your body is in a state of flight or fight, but there's no predator in the bushes. There's also a difference between feeling anxious, which can be a normal part of everyday life, and having an anxiety disorder. An anxiety disorder is a serious medical condition that may include stress or worry. These things, three things to help your anxiety. Again, I'll comment here. Um, I would say there's a lot of anxiety in, in in the air. in the world right now, due to the coronavirus. And a lot of that anxiety is the fear of the future. I'm surprised that um, we haven't heard the word future in this story, um, because uh, worry oftentimes is about things that never happened, or will happen. And if anxiety here is defined as Stress plus worry. Anxiety, too, may clearly often be about things that never happened and never will. Three things to help your anxiety from this article. Limit your sugar, alcohol, and caffeine intake. Because anxiety is physiological, stimulants may have a significant impact. I think that's fascinating because I'll bet Sugar Again, I'm commenting here. Sugar, alcohol, and caffeine are often some of the things people reach for when they're in anxiety and stressed and worrying. Check in with your toes. How do you feel? How do they feel? Wiggle them. This kind of refocusing can calm you and break the anxiety loop. Again, I'll comment here because uh, my uh, guest today... Keith McCrary was actually talking about um, the, the, the little things to be grateful for and he specifically mentioned his toes. And how often do we remember and uh, have awareness about how well our toes serve us. When you're, again I'm reading, when, this is again three things that help you your anxiety. When you're in the middle of, of an anxiety episode, talking or thinking about it will not help you. Try to distract yourself with your senses. Listen to music, jump rope for five minutes, or rub a piece of Velcro or velvet. I would, I would add to that. <clears throat> care, care for something, serve something outside of yourself whether it's uh, plants in the garden or you name it, you name it. Everywhere you look, there are places and people outside of yourself that you can serve and care about and for. Okay, reading on. Remember, anxiety happens in your mind and your body, so trying to think your way out of it won't help. Too worried, stressed, or anxious to read the whole article? Oh, oh, here's a question. Too worried, stressed, or anxious to read the whole, whole article? Here's the takeaway. Worry happens in your mind, stress happens in your body, and anxiety happens in your mind and your body. In small doses, worry, stress, and anxiety can be positive forces in our lives. But research shows that most of us are too worried, too stressed, and too anxious. The good news, according to Dr. Marquis, is that they are simple. There are simple, not easy, first steps to help regulate your symptoms: get enough sleep, eat regular, nutritious meals, and move your body. Well, that I would say that um, I would recommend that for every every everything that ails you. Get enough sleep, eat regular, nutritious meals, and move your body. That's from the New York Times. Um, I think I'll play a tune. And it's called, it's called, where is it now? There it is, No Hard Feelings. That's the one I want to play. Come on, play now.
2: When my body won't hold me anymore And it finally lets me free Will I be ready When my feet won't walk another mile And my lips give their last kiss goodbye Will my hands be steady When I lay down my fears My hopes and my doubts The rings on my fingers And the keys to my house With no Hard Feelings When the sun hangs Low in the west And the light in my chest Won't be kept Held at bay Any longer When the jealousy Fades away and it's ash and dust For cash and lust And it's just hallelujah And love and thought Love in the words Love in the songs they sing in the church And no
0: Bodhi B. This is Death Treks right here on Maui, March the 10th, 2020. This is Death Treks on KKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. This is from the New York Times. How to prepare now for the complete end of the world. Lynn Vilden teaches people how to live in the Stone Age. Hmm. Interesting if it's if we're coming to the complete end of the world, uh, I'm not sure how that translates that any of us will live in any age. Um, but I'm curious about the article because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, maybe we are coming to the end of the world. Uh, certainly, many people are feeling that we're coming to the end of the world as we know it. But certainly, we've done enough a damage I would say, planetarily, that we may have messed with the web of life to such a degree that humans won't be able to make it here much longer, in my view. And that's a cause for concern, maybe even a cause for stress. But not to worry. Uh, What concerns me in this particular um, area of consideration is that uh, there are some religious groups that um, are welcoming and encouraging what might be called the apocalypse because uh, according to their beliefs, that's when uh, Jesus will show up for the second time. Hmm. I don't know about that. I, I don't think it works that way myself. I think uh, if you ask me and I'll, I'll just ask me. I think this the second coming happens in everybody's heart. And I think Jesus actually points to that when he says we shall we shall do even greater work. But I'll read the article a little bit. How to Prepare Now for the Complete End of the World. Lynn Vilden teaches people how to live in the Stone Age. And again, uh, we're, the phone lines are open if you want to give us a call. 808-873-3435. This was March the 5th, 2020, in the New York Times, Okanagan County, Washington. When the end comes, some will not be waiting in a bunker for a savior. They will stride out into the wilderness with confidence, ready to hunt and kill a deer, tan its hide, and sleep easily in a hand-built shelter close by a fire they made from the force of their two palms on a stick. I guess those will be the people that couldn't afford one of those mega, a mega fancy um, bomb shelters that you read about now, where the ultra-rich will retreat to uh, when things go down, if they do. But I'll read on. Four hours from the Seattle airport in a valley called Methow, near a town called Twisp, Lynn Vilden was teaching people how to live in the wild, like we imagine Stone Age people did, not so they could get better at living in cities, or so they could be better competitors in Silicon Valley or Wall Street. I don't want to be teaching people how to survive and then come back to civilization, Lynx said. What if we don't want to come back to civilization? Some people now are considering what it means to live in a world that could be shut down by a pandemic. But some people are already living like this. Some do it because they just like it. Some do it because they think the end has, in fact, already begun to arrive. A couple of times a year, Lynx, she goes by the name professionally, though it's not her legal name, teaches a ten-day introduction to living in the wilderness. When I arrived for this program, Lynx ran to me, buckskins flying, her hands cupped tightly around something that was smoking. She held it toward my face. I closed my eyes and inhaled deeply. Confused, she moved her smoking handful to someone else, who blew on it lightly. It was an ember and a nest of seed fluff. Lynx was making a fire. Her, Her property looks like a kidnapper's lair from a movie. But her dream, she told those of us gathered, is a human preserve. Her vision is called the settlement. It will have a school where people can come in street clothes and learn to tan hides. But to enter the preserve itself will mean giving oneself over to it. You walk into it naked, and if you can create from that land what the land has to offer, then you can stay there, Lynx said. It's going to be these feral, rewilded people. I'm thinking in two to three generations, there could be real wild children. We set up our tents around her property. I had a sleeping bag from high school, a Swiss army knife and a stack of external batteries. It scared me that there was no cell phone reception. We communicated over the week in hoots. One hoot means hoot back. Two hoots mean gather. Three hoots means an emergency like near death level. The class may have been there to go. The class may have been there to go ancient, but they brought very modern food requests. In a group of seven, one student was a strict carnivore. Luke Utah, who likes a morning smoothie of raw milk, liver, and egg yolk. Another was a vegan. One student said they were so sensitive to spice that even black pepper was overwhelming. One person was paleo, one was allergic to garlic, and one was gluten-free. Louis Pommier, French chef turned a backpacker, was bartering his skill for attendance. He nodded emphatically as he heard these restrictions, but would go on to mostly ignore them. The first night he made a chicken curry Many of the people who were there came feeling useless in their lives. Some had quit their jobs. Link said many of the students who come for the month-long intensives are divorced or on their way to it. Several talked about feeling embarrassed at how soft their hands were and how dependent they had gotten on watching TV to fall asleep. We woke up the next morning and gathered around the open fire for boiled eggs. Soon we would learn how to chop down a tree. First, Lynx greeted the tree. She put her hands on it. If you're willing to be cut down, will you give a yes, she asked. She tugged the tree. She calls it a muscle test. Apparently the tree said yes. We have to kill to live, she said. Many students had brought elegant knives and axes from rewilding festivals. There's a booming primitive festival circuit with names like Rabbit Stick Rendezvous, Hollow Top, and Saskatoon Circle. But when confronted with an actual tree, they didn't want to use those. There was an old axe they used instead, its head periodically flung off, each time narrowly missing someone. The tree eventually fell a foot from my tent. The vibe was a mix of Burning Man, a Renaissance fair, and an apocalyptic religious fantasy. There was no doomsday prepper gun room. What would happen when bullets run out? Nor was there a sort of kumbaya, gentle love of nature, yoga class vibe. (laughs) When Lynx told the story of killing her first deer, she said the deer, wounded, tried to drag herself away. We shaved off the tree's bark and got to the cambium, the soft inner layer of bark that we would boil in water. This would be used to tan hides. We learned on supermarket salmon skin. We tore into the plastic bags of sockeye salmon with stone shards, then descaled the skin with dull bones. Lynx demonstrated how to process a deer hide using a hump bone from a buffalo. She sent us to go look for bones from the kitchen. Our job was to scrape off the muscle and fat. The hide was heavy, wet, and beginning to rot. Sometimes she played a deer-leg flute while we worked. That night was bitterly cold. I wore every piece of clothing I brought. Lynx coached us in warming big rocks by the fire, rotating them like potatoes, wrapping them in wool blankets. I heaved my two rocks too hot to touch, covered in ash, into the sleeping bag with me. Another thing you can do is to make a big cozy bed is just rake a pile of pine needles and just burrow in and put logs on either side so it stays together, Lynx said. Lynx looks like Peter Pan, only 54, with bone earrings. She's thin and quite beautiful, deeply wrinkled in a way that skin doesn't usually get anymore. One day she wore red grain on leather pants and her belt buckle was an elk antler crown. Another day it was a coat made of buffalo. She carried a Danish dagger made of a single piece of flint. On her belt was a little pouch made of bark-tanned salmon skin and deer hide holding a twig toothbrush a sinew sewing cord, and a bone needle, a piece of yerba santa for smudging. She never sat or rested on an object, even to eat. She always crouched. She ate out of a tree burl that she had hollowed into a bowl. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, we're down to a minute here. Our clothes made a statement. I didn't mean we were down to a minute before the end of the world. I meant there's a, less than a minute till the end of my show. So I'm going to stop here and come back to it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my interview today with Keith McCrary I thought was beautiful and uh, I'll probably have him on the show again. Um, great stuff, great stuff. So again, thanks for joining us. I'm Bodie B. Uh, this is Death Tracks. This is KAKU eighty eight point five FM.
3: come to an end The thrills have to fade before they come round again The bills will be paid and the pleasure will mend all good things Gotta come to an end God I wish I was home Friends. The call of the wise Caution thrown through the wind. The fall of the child Where the longing begins All oh, good things Gotta come to an end Like a river Flows rolling till it ends in the sea. Our pleasure grows rolling till it ends in you and me. Now, as the dark gathers into the sky, and legions of my go thundering by.